Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. I want to talk about both your works, but first let's talk about God Reconsidered. And tell me a little bit about that. And Was, was that controversial for you to try to put together? <laughs> yeah, well, uh-huh. uh, I went through a couple of publishers in the, uh, the process of trying to get it in print. I mean, I could write a whole book about the difficulties I had. But the bottom line is, uh, as some of your listeners may remember, is that uh, I went through a spiritual crisis. Uh, it really started at 17. I grew up in a Mormon home, kind of uh, 1950s. Uh, suburban, everything seemed to be going normal in my life. I went on a mission uh, and um, had an early career in the natural food industry and uh, was an editor at Vegetarian Times and all kinds of different things. But as time went on, um, I started looking into the UFO business and then that made me realize, wow, what conventional religion is teaching, not just the Mormons, but everybody else, doesn't really explain the abduction phenomenon, and a lot of things about the paranormal didn't fit within the religious paradigm. So I had a spiritual crisis, a mystical experience in 1989, and uh, and it it gave me direct knowledge that there was a fundamental flaw in all the standard religious uh, theories, East and West, and I didn't know exactly where that would lead. So the book is kind of a culmination of my traveling the world as a travel writer and trying to use the logic that I had to use as a journalist to figure out, are there answers? Can you really kind of follow the trail and get rid of the nonsense and uh, look at who has the best argument between all the competing philosophies, including atheism, and come to some some conclusions. So the book is really about that journey. I kind of take readers through what's wrong with atheism and kind of the materialistic skeptical standpoint Mm -hmm. that you deal with all the time, George. And and then the next part is kind of like, okay, so the atheists aren't right, but there are some problems with the the way we think about why we're here on earth and then i kind of go through why i looked at all these different religions and then at the very end the good news is i was able to come to some conclusions and i share the reasons why and then readers will decide whether they agree with me or not and it's a never-ending journey of course now there is a distinct difference of course between atheism and being agnostic and agnostic wants to get the facts not very many of them apparently are out there outspoken. There are a lot of people who are unaffiliated, uh, who feel a little bit lost spiritually. Uh, I mean, any atheist really ought to be an agnostic and just say, hey, you can't prove atheism, you can't prove God exists. Uh, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to be skeptical, I'll keep an open mind. And uh, But uh, unfortunately, the breed of the skeptics today... Um, as Dean Radin uh, has documented in several of his books, uh, and has been my experience, and this is something that I discuss in my opening chapters, is uh, they are irrational about what they think is supernatural, and they think it's all nonsense, and none of them will actually look at the evidence. And I've had a lot of encounters with these guys online and in person, 
And uh, it's surprising how ignorant I mean they are. I mean, uh, they'll I'll tell them to read a book like uh, Dean Radin's Conscious Universe, which has the evidence for ESP, and they'll say, "Well, a Berkeley professor told me not to read it. It's wrong. It's nonsense." Which is the same as a Catholic saying, "The bishop said this is on the banned book list, so I can't read it." You know, I've dealt with these guys on Facebook and stuff like that, and they're all incredibly irrational. They had some kind of trauma in their childhood about religion. But, um, you know, one can't, can't blame them for not uh, subscribing to Orthodox religion, because there is a lot of superstition and nonsense, and, and it's hard to weed out the wheat from the chaff in the paranormal field, certainly, as you know better than I do. Did you come away from this and your work believing more in God or less? Um, I became less believing in the traditional God, uh, but m- much more aware of the massive amount of evidence that there is uh, another dimension there, which is kind of ironic because, you know, the skeptics are perfectly willing to embrace the 11 string multiverse for which there is only theoretical mathematical evidence. There's really a massive amount of evidence for ghosts, for near death experiences, uh, ESP, the ability to move things with the mind, uh, you know, all this other stuff that we discuss. But you cannot get the skeptics to actually study it objectively. And Dean Radin came at this skeptically because he was a Bell engineer, you know, very kind of hard-headed guy, but he became aware of the research in the Soviet Union into psychics of all things because the Soviets just said, hey, this is just something natural, just like um, Sigmund Freud knew that there was telepathy because he experienced it so often with his patients. But today, you are not allowed in this religion of militant skepticism to believe something that is outside of orthodoxy. And there's a famous book uh, by Thomas Kuhn called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, which basically says the academy that kind of controls scientific knowledge and academic knowledge is 30 years behind the cutting-edge evidence, and you're not allowed to be published in their official publications. You've got to wait for a couple of generations to die off before the heresy is allowed. And you see that in every field from medicine to archaeology. It's, it's really almost like a, uh, one of the fundamental rules of uh, into the intellectual world. You find the uh, conventional wisdom really ossified and behind the times and resistant to any kind of new information. And that's where the skeptics come from. You know, they're, they're with this way outdated materialistic model of the world. Who do you think Jesus was, That's a great question, and uh, obviously the answer won't make sense unless <laughs> one immerses oneself kind of in the literature or has a mystical experience. Um, what Jesus definitely is not, and no offense to current Orthodox Christians, because um, whatever spiritual program works for you, great. Um, I believe in Jesus as a real divine entity. Um, However, uh, there is no evidence that Jesus was part of a trinity. If you go back and look at the New Testament, 
the Trinity is not taught in there. Neither is the atonement of Jesus. Paul barely mentions the actual life of Jesus. And the contradictions in the New Testament, when I was a missionary, I read it many times and didn't see this, uh, Orthodox Christians have had this handed down to them since Constantine. Uh, and uh, the, the, what it passes for Orthodoxy today is not what is taught in the New Testament. The, I believe Jesus was a divinely appointed bringer of enlightenment. I don't believe he died for our sins. Uh, the, oh boy, wait till you take calls later, Scotty. Yeah, right. But I mean, if you look at anybody who believes in the Orthodox Jesus, if they really want to pursue the truth, read Bart Ehrman's Jesus Interrupted, where he shows the last week of Jesus is reported by the four Gospels. None of them agree with each other about the essential event. So they weren't eyewitnesses, and it's garbled, contradictory. And then you can take that even further. Uh, Richard Smoley uh, has a book out called How God Became God, and he goes into more detail. Once you absorb this current scholarship, you can believe in Jesus, you can believe in God, uh, you can have a great spiritual life, you can find uh, an esoteric, open-minded church to affiliate with, but you can't really be orthodox. However, that said, there are mystics in every tradition who have a direct connection with the divine. Uh, God bless him, literally. I support that. But um, I, I came to kind of the Gnostic version of Christianity in part because I came to realize how completely divorced uh, modern Christianity is from its origins. Is there a paranormal aspect to religion? Uh, <laughs> that's a good point, because the truth is most religion institutionally is pretty much dead. One of the, the great things about growing up Mormon was that it's a living religion. People have supernatural experiences. Their relatives come back. Uh, they have uh, demonic attacks. They receive revelation. It is a living religion, and, and the people are healed and all this kind of stuff. Frankly, the Reader's Digest version of Christianity that has been completely laundered of any life uh, isn't very attractive, which is why the mainstream churches are losing people. Uh, yes, you can have religious experiences within the context of all those things, but um, there is really kind of a fear of what we call the paranormal, the other world, so much so that short of just saying a prayer to invisible entities, uh, these churches don't want you to interact with any of these entities. They would rather just have God, Jesus, and the angels be perfectly invisible, and you're hoping that your prayer is being answered somewhere. But, um, yeah, it's a bizarre contradiction. It's so sterile, modern religion in the churches, you'd never know that there were any miracles or, or any, you know, encounters with uh, angels or anything like that. You, you don't hear any of that in modern Christianity. What do you think happened, Scott, after death? Well, it, it became, as I was kind of uh, doing my research over the recent decades, um, <clears throat> it became very aware to me that the near-death experience is extremely common to every culture. 
And when you go through the different kind of phases, there will be a different mask for each culture so the person can relate to it. And, uh, but, but the essential uh, stages of it are remarkably similar. So you would have to say that although people have, when they get to the other side, they usually are greeted by their relatives and, and some entity they perceive as Jesus or Mohammed or whatever it is, uh, this is built into the human machine. Our souls survive death, and there's plenty of evidence uh, for that. And when you read the skeptics, they'll say something like, oh, you know, that's just biochemistry. No, it's not. When you are, if the real scientists and the real doctors who have actually looked into this objectively uh, and have written books about it, and I, I discuss this in my blogs on my um, Facebook page uh, for God Reconsidered, uh, they have shown that the standard skeptical arguments don't make any scientific sense. But the skeptics don't read the criticism. They don't want to know. You know, they're, they've got their own religion, and how dare you defy that and question it. You know, it's, it's fascinating how many reports we get from people, many of whom who have been on this program, who claim to have died uh, with some of these very similar experiences. Uh, there's there's got to be something to it. Yeah, it just it occurs in every culture. In fact, I think there are about, as I recall, like about six percent of people uh, globally have had some kind of near death experience and come back and and reported similar kinds of things. And uh, some of the details will differ. Not everybody has every aspect of it. But um, one of the things you know the that really pushes against this notion that it's just a biochemical experience. Like, they'll say, oh, well, they knew what the doctors were doing in the room because they were really still conscious. That's actually impossible if you're brain dead, according to conventional wisdom, but the skeptics are always willing to make exceptions when they're inconvenient. But uh, the fact is people have been able to go to other places in the hospital or distant places out of the body and report things that were going on in conversations and stuff like that. And uh, there's a whole bunch of this in Dean Radin's new book, uh, Real Magic, and in my blog on uh, near-death experiences and stuff like that. It's really astonishing. I mean, um, deathbed death, uh, visions, which I didn't know much about um, previous to writing on this, um, are pretty common. And, and sometimes people who are visiting the person who's dying actually see the entity who appears to the dying person and can describe it. It's amazing. And they, and they agree on that. They, they sure do. Now, what about demonic possession, too? <laughs> okay, so um, there's a, some of your uh, listeners may be aware that there's a little documentary out, which I have not yet seen, but I, I read about this in Vanity Fair. I think it might have been last December. Um, and it came out from the director of The Exorcist, uh, William Friedkin. It's called The Devil and Father Amorth. Gabriel Amorth was the uh, the head uh, exorcist for the Vatican, and he was very picky about the cases he took. And Friedkin, um, I don't know how much he gets of this on film, if at all, but uh, he saw so many, he's, a, he's an agnostic, and he saw so many astounding things as he went around with Father Amorth on these very, very select 
exorcisms. Uh, he took the information about and and the filming. Uh, over to UCLA neurosurgeons, and then uh, he writes about in, in Vanity Fair and probably talks about, I think, in the documentary, what they had to say. And the neurosurgeons could not explain what they saw. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.